I'm going to go straight to the word of the Lord here uh, this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10 is where we are going to start. I also want to remind us about Tuesday night um, Bible study. We'll be right here at 7 p.m. And then uh, midweek, all church prayer meeting will be on Wednesday night at 7 p.m. And we're just going to keep moving forward in Jesus' name. Now, they're telling me they just, they just finished drywalling our new prayer room on the other side of that wall. We're, they're going just as fast as they can go. Uh, but we're hoping to have that um, all ready to go in early, early September. I'm talking about carpeted doors, ready to use lights on the wall. There's also going to be a screen in there um, that is programmable every day, every week uh, for prayer requests. So when you go into the prayer room after uh, we spend some time in there, praise and worship, um, there's going to be needs in there for uh, the church and outside the church and just whoever and wherever uh, that we can keep in our prayers in the prayer room. So we're excited about all these things, and we're moving forward. Somebody said, oh, Pastor, I'm glad the church is done. The church is not done. <laughs> we're just about, uh, we're a little bit over a third of the way done with everything that we got going. So continue to pray for us and and support the things of God in Jesus' name. Everybody said praise the Lord. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, certainly a familiar passage of Scripture. We're going to read a few verses of Scripture here, uh, and then we'll pray, and you can be seated for the remainder of the service. Starting in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all, everybody said all, our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, neither be idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed and fell in one day, three and 20,000. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for in samples, or better, examples they are written for our admonition. The entire recording and rehearsing of this story is for our admonition and for us to glean, to glean something from. 
And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. That's great advice. In fact, that advice is so good, I'm going to go ahead and read that again. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. Notice this next phrase. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. I want to read that verse number 13 one more time. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. And that's what I want to talk about, a way of escape, a way of escape. Let's lift our hands and lift our voices and let's pray together. Father, we love you, we praise you, we worship you. Thank you for the tremendous praise and worship, your presence and your glory that has come down and created this incredible environment. Father, we pray that hearts are encouraged Minds can be changed. Lives can change direction. The power and the glory of God can be experienced in this house. We won't fail to give you the praise and the glory and the honor. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, God bless you. You may be seated. This is a notable and famous passage of Scripture. For several different reasons that we will explore here today. First of all, understand with me that the church that was at Corinth was an incredible church, and we can glean much from what was written by the apostle and how it was written when you talk about the subject matter that he addressed and some of the issues that he addressed, give us an accurate rendering of what that congregation was like and what that congregation was experiencing at that particular time. Um, that in itself would be worthy of at least two or three nightly Bible studies. But suffice it to say that there are some things that are addressed in the church at Corinth that are like mountain peaks in... Uh, the epistles, they just, they stick out. 
the Apostle Paul dealt with spiritual gifts in a way that he not, did not write anywhere else. In fact, there's some people that have falsely claimed that because the Apostle Paul addressed what he addressed, that some things were not available um, or not required in any other church because it wasn't repeated to another church, and that is completely false. Um, but there are some things that are very interesting at the Church of Corinth. Without getting too deep just into that, let me say this, that it was largely a Gentile church. The Apostle Paul, it's recorded, of course, for us in Acts chapter number 18. He went to Corinth. Um, the Apostle Paul, make no mistake about it, was a revivalist. He believed in God for great revival, and he saw great revival. But he also saw a lot of other things and experienced a multiplicity of other things. The Apostle Paul, as his tradition was while he was on these missionary journeys, would always be to visit the local synagogue. Uh, the temple was in Jerusalem, but the local uh, Jewish meeting place, even in the Gentile world, um, there were Jews that had already experienced the dysphoria, the dispersal. They were already dispersed all over the known world. But they met locally in synagogues, and it was the Apostle Paul's um, mode of operation to always go unto his fellow countrymen first. He always went into the synagogues first, but he got to a place, and it's recorded um, in Acts chapter number 18. He got to the place where the Jews just flatly refused. They just didn't want to hear from him anymore. They flatly denied the Christ, and they basically shut him down. They didn't want to hear what he had to say, and he said, all right, from henceforth, I will go unto the Gentiles. Well, he did that, and there was a great and a mighty revival um, in Corinth. Corinth was a notable city. It did not have the intellectual horsepower that Athens had, but it was extremely influential because it was a city of great commerce. It was on an isthmus. Um, it was one of the notable cities. It was filled with Roman citizens. It was filled with Greeks, and there was a population of Jews that lived there. But make no mistake about it, it was largely a Gentile church. The reason why that is so notable to us is because they did not understand the Old Testament. They didn't understand the nuances. What, what the Jews accepted as just being common, common knowledge, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the covenants, and uh, even the dispensational realities that were something that had escaped the idolatrous and polytheistic Gentiles. They were bound by mythology. They were bound by false doctrine. And so this, uh, they were coming from an incredibly immoral culture. Corinth uh, had, had a reputation for being one of the most immoral cities uh, of Asia Minor. And so the, the church that existed at Corinth was largely Gentile. They didn't have a lot of understanding and knowledge and comprehension of the Old Testament. Which is why when we read this in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, it's notable and interesting to us 
Because here the Apostle Paul is, uh, and this is a very basic illustration, but he is making some applications using the Old Testament, using uh, the Hebrews of the Old Testament, and he's making applications like a typology. He is making an application to uh, the believers at Corinth. Let's just read through this uh, very quickly. Again, moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Well, many, as I've already mentioned, many of those um, that were in the church did not even understand what the exodus represented and what the journey through the wilderness was. And so it was part of the Apostles Paul role to bridge the two testaments to give them an understanding and a comprehension uh, that this was not done in a corner. This thing has got a big history to it. It's got a lot of roots to it, and it goes all the way back to the beginning. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Of course, that's a reference of the nation of Israel coming out of Egyptian bondage and moving through the Red Sea. You might remember in that original story, they were led by a flame of fire by night, a pillar of fire by night, and a cloud by day. That's a type of the leading of the Spirit. And then they move through the Red Sea, which is a type of baptism. Let's continue to read. And we're all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat that same spiritual meat. Of course, they're talking about manna, and did all drink the same spiritual drink. And that drink that uh, was the spiritual rock that followed them. The rock was Christ. That was water that came out uh, of the rock. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now this, as I've already mentioned, and I've already laid the foundation of this, this is an unusual approach for the Apostle Paul. He didn't often use Old Testament stories, no matter how genuine they were, no matter how applicable they were. He did not often use those when talking to New Testament baptized in Jesus' name, Holy Ghost-filled believers. Why? Because they didn't have a lot of comprehension, historical grasp of the Old Testament. But there's a reason why he did this. Verse 6, now these things were our examples. Now he's, he's bringing it up to speed, and he's now applying it uh, to the church at Corinth. To the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. The Apostle Paul talked more about fornication than he did uh, any other sin that was mentioned in the New Testament churches because it was widespread um, like it is in our day and age. And so we talked about this a lot. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed and fell in one day, three and 20,000. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed to the serpent. Neither murmur ye or complain, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now, I can just imagine in my mind's eye that the apostle by using these Old Testament references, is probably, is probably a light is going off uh, with a lot of people in that church that A, I need to study the Old Testament more, and B, I need to find out why God was so upset with these people because this is, this is ultimate concern. This is an ultimate end 
that is, that is talking about here. There was an action, and God judged it, so on and so forth. Now, all these things happened unto them in the Old Testament for our examples, and they are written for our admonition, our benefit, our instruction, our learning something from that. Upon whom the ends of the world are come. And ladies and gentlemen, if that was 2,000 years ago, how close do you think we are this morning? Wherefore, now he's bringing it to the present. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There is no temptation taken you but such is his common demand. He's not even, he's already laid the bedrock of, of the instruction and now he's fully applying it to people in the Corinthian church and to us. There has no temptation taken you, but such as is common demand, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above all that ye are able but will with the temptation also make a way to escape. And everybody said, praise the Lord. Um, I have preached from this particular passage of Scripture and talked about this particular Scripture many, many times. But I feel like this morning that God gave me an understanding about this particular passage of Scripture that I've, I've never had before. And that is what I want to talk to you about. First of all, this word examples, first it's example and then it's in samples. It simply means a dye. Um, and I don't mean a dye that changes the color. I mean a dye like... Um, something that forms a stamp or some, you put it into a mold and it, and it has a unaltered thing that is a result of that, a pattern, a model. God is trying to tell us and our brothers and sisters at Corinth and millions of other people in other places that there is something in this story that is fixed. It is fixed. I don't believe it's just that, okay, if we do bad things, uh, bad things are going to happen to us. And that's exactly what happened to the, to the, to the, in the example that he's using of the nation of Israel that came out of Egyptian bondage. They, they murmured and complained. They tempt Christ. How did they tempt Christ? And I love the fact that he used the word Christ there because he is showing the eternality of the Savior um, but what they complained about going back to Egypt. It's too hard out here. It's too hard to do this, live this life. It's too hard to, to, to escape uh, Egypt and be out here and not have all the answers and not da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And, and that was tempting Christ. And in each one of these, whether it was fornication or idolatry or murmuring or tempting, there was an incredible loss of life that was attached. There was a judgment from God that ensued. But I do not believe that that is the biggest takeaway 
from this passage of scripture. It's not that just that if, if you go do something bad, something's gonna happen. Although that's true, and the Apostle Paul makes that clear, I don't believe that that is the biggest takeaway from this, from this lesson. And it's quite staggering when I consider what I'm about to tell you. For just several moments, let's look at our mindset. Let's look at Romans chapter 12 and verse number 3. Romans 12 and 3. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought. What does that mean? That is the human tendency for you to think higher of yourself than where you really are in reality. And when I talk about reality, I'm not, I'm not just talking about uh, what the world thinks or what your family thinks and, and, and all that. Reality is what God thinks. Now, I'm gonna say that again. Reality is what God thinks. If, 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 you're, if you're here today and you have a form of reality and there's not a devil in that, that is not reality, you are deceived. If, you, if your form of reality does not include that we have to live for God righteously and soberly in this present life, then that is not reality, you are deceived. If your reality does not include that there is a heaven and a hell, you are deceived. My brothers and my sisters, I am living for God. I am living in truth. I am doing all these things because I want to go to heaven, and I want to see him, and I want to live with him forever. That is reality. Clap your hands and give God the praise. I am amazed how many apostolics think they have a reality, but it is void of obedience. It is void of submission. It is void of righteousness. It, come on, somebody. I'm preaching to you right now. It is void that there is a devil after you. It is void that there is carnality hindering you. You think it's a game. And really what it is, it's not reality. It's fantasy. And whether we like it or not, or want it or not, we should appreciate the fact that the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the man of God is here to shatter my fantasy and my little thoughts and my self-deception. Let's clap our hands and give God the praise. I wouldn't be here today. I would not be saved if it hadn't been a man of God that got up here without fear or favor and every single week like a battering ram shattered my self-deception and my little thoughts and my, oh, somebody lift your voice. We are prone to putting what we think above what God thinks. It's in our nature. It's, it's, de it's the default of being human. Additionally, according to the scripture, it reveals to us it's even a default even after we receive truth. 
because it also states in Romans chapter 12 that it's by the renewing of our minds that we continue to be shed of what I think and accept what God thinks. Oh, that's good. Let's lift our hands and thank him. Let's thank God. He doesn't leave this to our own devices and our own thought structures and our own just our own outlook. And well, you know, that's just the way I see it. Well, that way you see it ain't how God sees it. Guess what? I'm ditching what you think and I'm embracing what God thinks. If you got a family member in your life that says, well, we just don't see it that way. Honey, I love you. I'm going to pray for you. But I want the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. Think on these things. Somebody shout. Hallelujah. And so there is a propensity that all of us have that left to ourselves, even after receiving truth, that we can easily think way too much of ourselves, grandiosely. That's called pride. And the apostle is guarding against that. In fact, in this context, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he is saying that the best safety against falling is to think correctly. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Well, if you've got in the back of your mind that you know, I'm feeling pretty good right now. You know? I got a $20 bill in my pocket. That's supposed to make you laugh. Honey, that's not going to do nothing. You ain't even going to get out of Burger King with that $20 in your pocket. You ain't going to get no change. Get used to it. You can't even get your car washed for almost $20. Well, Pastor, we don't wash our car. I'm just having fun. You understand exactly what I'm saying. You can think, hey, I'm feeling pretty good today, but it should always be in the back of your mind. There's still a devil. I'm still flesh. I'm trying to help somebody here today. I still have limitations. I still have weaknesses, but God is my strength. The Apostle Paul was the spiritual father of this church. He loved this church. They gave him grief, heartache, because there were so many issues that were happening simultaneously in this congregation. But he gives us this great warning about just, okay, you're doing good. That's wonderful, but understand your limitations. In fact, if you don't know where God starts and you quit, you're in trouble. You need to know, you need, you need to get enough experience in the Holy Ghost to know, okay, I, I got to have God to take this step. And I, I, I got to have a God to go in here. And I'm not going to look at that magazine because that ain't good for me. And I'm not going here because it ain't, come on, I'm preaching right now. I'm not going over here because it ain't good for me. 
I'm spelling this out for some of the young ones. See, if, you, if that ain't operating in your life, then you ain't even got God because God's going to protect his investment in you. He's going to say, whoa, 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 don't be going over there. You might mess up. Don't be, don't be going over here. You might mess up. Don't be looking at this, doing this, doing that. Take heed, lest she fall. So a mentality is required to understand what I'm going to talk about here today. A, a discipline is required. And that our world does not want to hear about disciplines. It doesn't want to hear about self-control. It doesn't want to hear about constraint. And, and, and we don't major on those, but we got to talk about them because you got to be real. But I'm going to tell you the other side of the coin is, the other side of the coin is you get God. You get his glory. You get his presence. You get his fellowship. You, you, you get to walk with him. You get to know him. Come on, somebody. It's not rules and regulations. It's glory. It's power. It's wonder from another world. And so it's because of that that I do this. I don't do this to get that. I do this because I have that. And if you don't have that, it's no reason why you ain't doing this. If you don't have this, you ain't going to do this. And this is that. And that is this. And I think I'll get behind the pulpit. But you got to have God for all this to make sense, which is why a lot of churches can't even, they can't even comprehend where an apostolic church is because they don't have God on the inside. They think religion, which is nothing more than a postmodern version of the Reformation period, is all I have to do is get good to get God, and I go to church and we worship. No, that's not, that's never been the apostolic message. The apostolic message is your body is going to become a temple for the living, invisible, almighty, infinite God of the universe. And once he moves in, that ain't nothing. I don't even want that anymore. I don't even want to go back and live like a devil anymore. I don't even want it. But you've got to keep it current. You've got to keep it alive. Somebody shout with a voice of triumph. All right. So he's got this incredible illustration as a foundation, and he makes this statement. There has no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. Where did that come from? Where did that come from? I thought you were talking about all this... Old Testament people on their travels and their journey, and now you're talking about temptation. To fill in a few blanks for us, let's go to James chapter 1, starting in verse number 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. When you, when you are tempted to do something stupid, you will be blessed if you say, uh-uh. 
And to some of you out there that are dealing with compulsive sins that have been raging in your life for many, many, many years, you got to start somewhere. you got to start somewhere. This is where you start. When the devil tries to get you to do that, you just say, not today. Devil, you might have had yesterday, but not today. I'm trying to help some of you because you're thinking, I don't know if I'm going to make it because I can't quit sinning. Yes, you can if you want to. Yes, you can if you got enough God. Yes, you can if you have a prayer life. Yes, you can if you understand reality. Not today. I might have messed up days and weeks and months and hours. And I felt God's love, and I got down and finally prayed through, and, and I don't want to lose that. I don't want to do that to God. And when the devil comes and says, all right, it's time for us to go back into bondage, you say, not today. And then what do you do tomorrow? Not today. And what do you do the third day? Not today. Not today. Not today until it's not anymore. My God, I'm fixing to preach to somebody. Instead of whining around and figure why there's not an angel at the foot of my bed, you need to get yourself by the back of the neck and say, not today, not tomorrow, not the day after. Clap your hands and give God a shout of praise. And one day turns into two days, and two days turns into three days, and now you got the victory, and you got a battle plan. Well, my insurance will cover 16 weeks of counseling. Nothing against counseling. We have counselors in this church. I'm not preaching against it. But whatever happened to the wonderful counselor? Before you go and reach for that sin, why don't you go pray? Was that me? Who said that? I don't feel like praying. I feel like sinning. Pray. You're sitting here today. You want prayer more than you want sin. It's in that moment of weakness. And when you're thinking correctly, you're already understanding. I'm going to have a battle plan all worked out. That when my body says we're going to go sin, I, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get into my prayer closet. I'm going to go to God first. I'm going to the wonderful counselor. And when you come out of it, you're not even going to want to sin. I know it's basic, but you got to get a hold of yourself. This is not once saved, always saved. You got to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Let's lift our hands and just talk to Jesus. I'm trying to help somebody today. Not hurt you, I'm trying to help you. The devil's tried to turn this into a mountain. You can't get over it, you can't get under it. What we need to do is just Get God's view of it. What does God think about my mountain? It ain't nothing. You can move mountains. Whosoever shall speak to this mountain and believe in his heart, it's going to what? It's going to what? It's going to what? Okay, what does this group think? What does this group? What does this group think? Somebody out there was thinking Denny's. Denny's?
The Old Testament was restricted by covenants. You and I, nothing shall be impossible to him that believeth. For they shall speak unto this. Let's clap our hands and give God praise one more time. This is the most exciting thing ever given to a mortal. But you got to be willing to play by reality. Reality! Okay. So James fills in a few blanks about temptation. James chapter 1, verse number 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. I believe that that is another explanation of what the book of Revelation talks about being an overcomer. An overcomer has things that you have looked at in your life that you have said, not today. Verse number 13. Let no man say when he is tempted that I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. God is not the puppet master that is, that is tempting you. In fact, I'm going to preach to you today that God is going to help you get out of temptation. Verse number 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own life. How many fishermen are in the house? We only got one fisherman. How many of you guys fish? Leave your hand up. One, two, three, four. Some of you aren't sure you put it down real fast. I don't want my wife to see that because I never come home with nothing. Okay, I understand. I do that and I'm a hunter. How do you know you're a hunter? I just walk around the woods with a gun. Is that better for you? Fishermen know that if I'm going to get something, i got to have something on that hook. All right, put a piece of pepperoni on that hook and see what the fish do. They ain't going to do nothing. They're not interested in pepperoni. But you put something on that hook, like a grub or a big old fat earthworm. We were, we were fishing with the grandkids, thanks to Brother and Sister March, just a couple weeks ago up in up in Montana, man, they just, they just threw that dude in the water and there was a fish on it. When the devil tries to mess you up, he's not just going to throw any old thing out. He's going to throw something out there that's going to get you to go. I'm preaching. Look at your neighbor and say, he's preaching good. And the devil's got a file on every single person in this place. If he can get you to start looking at that worm, he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed, which is why pornography is so damning. I'm going to say that again. Pornography is a cancer. And after you get those images in your mind, you're saying, Pastor, what do I do? Pray. God is able to walk God through the washing of regeneration. 
My God. Man, I feel that here. I felt like I just hit something right there. Don't, don't be watching pornography all week and then come in here and say, you know, I want deliverance. Shut that computer off. Get down on your knees right there and say, this is where I messed up and this is where I'm bringing God. And the devil will keep trying to use those images. But once you start praying and once you have momentum and once you're moving in the same direction, you can have the mind of Christ where it used to be the mind of devils and demons. My God, I'm in the Holy Ghost today. Somebody! Okay, verse number 15. Then when lust has conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So now when we, we bring that understanding and put it here in 1 Corinthians, it gives, us, it gives temptation a little bit more, more substance, okay? 1 Corinthians 10 and 13. There has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not suffer to you to be tempted above that ye are able, but with every temptation also make a way of escape. Now, this is where it gets interesting. What does that have to do with the illustration? that the apostle is using in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 3, where he is talking about the nation of Israel and their wilderness. Make no mistake about it. This is a description of their wilderness journey and some of the things that they, where they messed up. With many of them, God was not well pleased. Stick with me. I thought that the nation of Israel was already delivered. The nation of Israel was already out of Egypt. And isn't that what Exodus is all about? It most certainly is. In fact, that was to be the spinal column to every consecutive generation, that they were to retell that story under their children, their, and, and the, the oral tradition was to be told from generation to generation, how that God brought us out of Egyptian bondage with a mighty hand. And that is the exact illustration that the apostle is using. My point is, is this. It is possible to not be in the world anymore and still have temptation. It is possible to not be in Egypt anymore and still have issues. 
They were already delivered. They were delivered with the mighty hand of the miraculous and God bringing curses upon the Egyptians and then, and then, and then God splitting the Red Sea, which is a type of baptism that is used here. And then, and then God uh, using a type of the Holy Ghost, a pillar of fire and cloud by day is a type of the Spirit. And, and that is talking about the blood, is talking about repentance, and the water is talking about baptism, and the pillar of fire is talking about the Holy Ghost. It is possible to still have struggles and already experience Acts 2.38. But this is where it got really, really critically interesting to me. What was it that caused God to deliver them the first time? Let's go in our Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter number 2, verse number 23. And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage. Everybody said bondage. So here they are, they are, they are captives, they are slaves, they are in bondage in Egypt, and they sighed. They're, they're, which is an expression. It's an expression of, of trouble, it's of, 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 of grief to a certain extent by reason of the bondage. And they cried. And their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. I'm going to tell you, and the Bible said that God had respect unto them. So let me get this straight. Everything is fine in Egypt, but all of a sudden, another Pharaoh comes in and says, hey, we got all these Hebrews here. Let them be our garbage collectors. Let them construct uh, all of our architectural cities and let them make stone and mud and let them work for us and basically let them be slaves for us. And once they became slaves, uh, the nation of Israel began to cry. They began to say, where is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? And, 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 and where is God? And they, and they began to cry unto God. And God heard them. This is the most important factor in this entire story is God responded to the fact that they were in bondage and God said, I'm bringing you out of here. I'm going to fulfill the scripture that I said to an old man in Genesis chapter number 15 that I had a covenant that you're going to come out in the fourth generation and you're going to bring great substance and God came in. He brought wonder. He brought supernatural. He brought power. But when it came to make idols, they said, up, make us gods. When it came to committing fornication, they just went with the flow. When it came to murmuring and complaining and coming against Moses and coming against God, there was just one voice, two voice, three voice, thousands of voices. What would have happened if when they were tempted to commit fornication. They would have said, God, we don't want to do this. You have us out here. We don't want to be in bondage to this. The same power that brought them out of Egypt would have brought them out of fornication. Amen. 
The same power that brought them out of the Red Sea would have brought them through idolatry. The same power that brought them out of Pharaoh's control would have brought them through complaining and bitterness. Oh, clap your hands and give God the praise. I know you've already obeyed Acts 2.38, but you're still fighting temptation and you're still fighting sin. How about if we cry? How about if we, how about if we weep? How about if we cry? How about if we lift our voice? For the next several moments, everybody do something. Do over your sin what you did when you repented to get the Holy Ghost. Do over your sin what you did in the very beginning to get God in the beginning. The apostle is telling the Corinthian church that you're basically responding exactly like they did. They only cried to get out of bondage. But what would have happened had they cried unto the Lord when they were being tempted to go back to the world? We have a record that they did do that. Psalm 107 is one of the most incredible passages of Scripture in the entirety of the Psalms, and it records the wilderness journey of the nation of Israel. Let's go to Psalm 107. Look at this. Look at this in verse number one. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered them out of the lands from the east, from the west, from the north, and the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord. The lesson that the Apostle Paul is trying to bring the church is, instead of sinning, why don't you cry unto the Lord? Why don't we have a prayer meeting where we break out and say, God, I refuse to go to that. And you brought me out here. And I need your strength like in the beginning. I need your hope like in the beginning. I need the power like in the beginning. I love this passage here. Psalm 107. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness, such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron because they rebelled against the words of God, because they rebelled against the words of God, because they rebelled against the words of God. Therefore, he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down. There was none to help. Then they cried unto the Lord, and he saved them out of their distresses. If we will have the same prayer meeting that we had when we first came to God and continue to have that 
every single time we're tempted, there is a way of escape. Let's lift our hands and give him praise. You don't need counseling. You don't need to read this book. You don't need to read that. Oh, you know, I need to talk to a PhD. You don't need none of that stuff. What you need to do is get into the Word of God and say, you know what? I need a prayer life. You know what? I need to set aside an hour every day. And I'm not going to let the kids stop me. I'm not going to let the devil stop me. I'm not going to let worry stop me. I'm not going to let this world stop me. But I'm going to cry unto the Lord. And God's going to move. And God's going to bring me out of affliction. The nation of Israel forgot what God did in Egypt. God can get you out of Egypt, but now God's trying to get Egypt out of you. Now, I really, I really think Cornerstone is for everybody. I really think that this church will be 10 times bigger than what you see here. You know what the problem is, though? problem is a lot of people's reality does not line up with the reality of that book. And they are, they are lost in a dream. And this pastor came to shatter your dream and let God in, let the miracle happen, and now watch you grow. Every single week that you come here, we're here to shatter your self-imposed deception. Let God in. Now you can do what you're supposed to do, and now you can be what God wants you to be and be blessed, be healed, be whole, be powerful, be anointed, have doors swing off their hinges, everything you're wanting God to do. Let's clap our hands and give God the praise. It's that simple. It's that simple. Come on, Corinth. I know you're fornicators. I know you got problem. I know you're against your brother. I know you got all these issues. But if we'll go back to the beginning and remember how to repent and remember how to pray and remember how to get in the carpet and remember how to get a hold of God. Let's clap our hands and give God great praise. That's your escape. Then they cried unto the Lord, and God brought them out. Then they cried unto the Lord, and God made a way. Then they cried unto the Lord, and God opened a door. Then they cried unto the Lord, and God got them out of it. But with every temptation, we'll make a way of escape. Let's lift our hands. There's people I'm preaching to that I don't even know I'm preaching to. You just, you want your own reality. The problem is, <laughs> you're setting yourself up for a fall. Because in your reality, you're already strong. In your reality, you're, all, you're okay. In your reality, you're just looking for your next blessing. When God really wants to get you, take you to another level of prayer where he can start removing that 
getting the devil out of here, removing that, removing that. But we don't have enough self-control to accept God's reality. We want our reality to be God's reality. And God's saying, no, we've reached an impasse. So I'm just going to wait until you cry unto me, and I'm going to fly off of that throne. I'm going to be there with deliverance. I'm going to be there with power. Let's clap our hands and give him mighty praise. Your way of escape has always been right there. Your way of escape has always been there. But we try to live for God without praying. We try to live for God and be blessed without obeying the word of God. We try to get the most for the least. And God says, I'm just going to wait. That's what he did with the nation of Israel. I'll just wait. But when they cried, God did not ignore. God did not put it off. God did not act like he didn't hear. The minute that they recognized that we need God, God said, that's all I was waiting for. That's all I was waiting for. What you really need today is you need to just cry out to God. Well, I'd, I'd, rather do the, I'd rather use the therapeutic model of the great thinkers of the 30s and 40s. <laughs> the guys that did that stuff didn't have enough Holy Ghost to knock a gnat off a windowsill. Why am I going to listen to them? Why am I going to listen to somebody that's got unregenerated thinking with unregenerated ideas and unregenerated solutions? The wonderful counselor still has the best way. God says, I love you, but, 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 but you're determined to do it your way. You're determined to do it in your strength. You're determined to do it. But once you cry unto me, I'm going to be all over you like, I'm going to be all over like another robe. I'm going to be all over you like a, a, a fitting of new shoes. I'm going to be all over like the fatted calf. I'm going to be all over like a ring of authority. I'm going to tell you, God, God is answering prayers of people that aren't even saved. No, I'm telling you. It was in 19... I can't even... I can't remember what the date was. But it was approximately a year before I got saved. But I was... I was I did not know God. I did not know truth. I didn't know nothing. I was, I was stupid. I was killing myself with drugs and alcohol. I, I didn't have any qualitative, valid, real relationships in my life. I was completely given over to hedonism and self-gratification. But I was in a bathroom... I think it was around 1982, latter part of 1982, I was going to hang myself. I'd been doing dope all day. I'd been drinking all day. I had come to the end of myself. And I was on the stained linoleum floor in this little bathroom. 
And there's people all over this congregation that have similar stories. And I got down on that stained linoleum floor between the toilet and the bathtub. And I guess you would call it a prayer meeting. To me, it was a prayer meeting. And I said, if there's a God, tears streaming down my face. If there's a God, please help me. That's all he needs. That's all he needs. Because less than a year later, my brother knocked on the door of my house and said, I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I didn't say, whoa, man, thank you, Jesus. I said, what kind of freak are you now? That was my doped mentality. But let, let make no mistake about it, I went to the church, and I want to tell you, I got the power of the Holy Ghost. I got the mind of Christ. I got God's reality, and I've never been the same. And it all started on a stained linoleum floor. I didn't even know who God was. I didn't even know where he was. I didn't even know where the Bible, I, I didn't even own a Bible. But I said, if there's a God, please help me. That's all he's looking for. And he'll make a way of escape. Clap your hands and give God the pray. I'm preaching to somebody today. You got family members. All they need to do is pray. God help me. I need out of this. I need out of this situation. And God will make a way of escape. I've gotten out of some tight places since then. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Book of Hebrews chapter number 11 says, they stopped the mouths of lions. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. Pardon me. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. Paul writing to Timothy talked about how the God stopped the mouths of lions. How do you do that? 1 Peter chapter number 5, verse number 8 tells us that your adversary is a roaring lion. How do you stop him? Right there. Daniel, stop praying. Daniel, stop praying. Or we'll throw you to the lions, Daniel. And so Daniel is thrown into a cave. And the king is saying, yeah, ain't going to be nothing left but a bunch of bones. But would you believe that Daniel started praying? And before it was all over, he had names for the lions. Leo, how you doing? Sit down and behave. And come here, you over here. Yeah, yeah, you sit down. Quit, quit hurting him. You, yeah, you sit down. No, don't. I'm preaching. I'm just. You can pray your way out of temptation. You got to quit feeling sorry for yourself and get into reality and say, I got a problem just like everybody else has got. And it's not going to be a pill. It's not going to be a doctor. It's going to be the wonderful counselor. I know it seems like work because your flesh is in control. You got to think right.
I want to know how come there's no more joy. Well, you're going to the bar, doing stuff that's against the Bible. God's telling you not to do it. And you're wanting to know why you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can do that when you're two or three weeks old in the Holy Ghost. And God's just tolerating all that. But there's going to come a time where God says, it's time to grow up. I got, I got some invisible laws around here. And those invisible laws are not to restrict you. Those invisible laws are to help you to grow in grace. Paul and Silas are doing the will of God, cast the devil out of a woman with the spirit of divination. These are the men that preach to us the way of salvation and talk about the most high God. Now, pastor, leave her alone. She's telling the truth. God never used unclean agency to tell the truth. The devil believes that there's one God. Paul put up with that, just spun on his heels and said, in the name of Jesus, get out of her. And they found themselves in stocks and bonds. Not Wall Street. In Philippi. In a jail. You know, I thought the devil was brighter than this. I'm going to tell you how stupid the devil is, Okay. Okay? Okay? They put him in the jail, put him in stocks, put him in the inner prison. But he put them together. He's not very bright. If the devil really had his act together, he would have put one guy over here and one guy over here. But he put two guys together. And Paul said, you know, I can just get one, a thousand of these, but if we both get together, we can put 10,000 of these devils to fly. And it was at midnight, and they said, praise be to Jesus. And there was a way of escape. See, God is trying to lead you to spiritual maturity that every time you get in a bind, you don't need to call the pastor, I think I'm going to need five months of counsel. No, you just need to learn how to pray. Like the people that have got white hair around here. And the reason why they got white hair is they've been here a long time. And the reason why they've been here a long time is a long time ago they learned how to pray. They didn't. They got off drugs. They got off the bottle. They don't go to the doctor. They don't say, well, I got that. No, 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 no. They'll say, you know what? I've got a God. And when I go to God, there ain't no chains on me. I can lift my hand. I didn't come in here to be bound. I break out of it. The devil ain't ever going to keep me from worshiping my God. I'm going to break out. I'm going to leap out. I'm going to jump out. Clap your hands and give him praise. When God allows you to get into something that you need an escape, that's not him punishing you. That's him allowing you to develop. You know, parents in the 21st century is like, no, no, no. Don't touch that lawnmower. I'll mow the lawn. No, don't touch the head trimmer. I'll touch it. Well, the kid's now 15. He doesn't know how to run him. He never mowed the lawn. Because dad, mom and dad have done it for him. Let your kids go through some trials. 
God's going to let you go through some things. Come on, Corinth. Come on. You're going you're to be tempted. You've already got fornication rampant in this church more than any other church of Asia Minor, and this is how you get out of it. Somebody needs to pray. Somebody needs to start praising God. And finally, in 1 Peter chapter 3, Jesus went. He descended into the deepest parts of hell and preached. I can't tell you how many times as a home missionary we didn't have near what we got here. Big, beautiful congregation. They're well-dressed, well-groomed, love God. I just got done ministering at a pioneer conference where we were dealing with home missionaries. Some of them are like, man, I don't even know if God wants me here. There's nobody out there. I said, dude, you're in a whole city. You don't think the devil wanted Brother and Sister Mayo to pack our bags 28 years ago? You wouldn't be here. Some of you wouldn't be in the kingdom. Some of you'd be somewhere else, but some of you wouldn't even be in the kingdom. But there was a there was a, a pastor that said, no, devil, you can get it tight in here. You can put all kinds of problems. You can do all the abracadabra, but I'm going to rear back and preach out of this. And when I get under the anointing, I'm going to take a lot of prisoners out of here. I'm going to lead captivity captive. I'm going to preach unto the spirits that are in prison, and I'm going to lead them and ascend on high and lead captivity captive. Somebody clap your hands and give God the praise. Come on, break out. Break out of your prison. Break out of your den of life. Break out of your situation. Stand to your feet and clap your hand to give him prayer. Come on, somebody shout. Somebody make up your mind. I'm coming out of this today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find my way of escape, and I'm coming out. I'm not staying in this prison another day. I'm not staying in this den of lions another day. I'm not staying in the belly of hell another day. If Israel had cried out to the Lord... Instead of coming against leadership, instead of committing fornication, instead of worshiping a golden calf, instead of tempting Jesus, there would have been tens of thousands of people that would have successfully made the journey. Let's lift our hands and give God great prayer. Your way of escape has always been right there. Jesus is at the door. He's just waiting for somebody to cry out. He's just waiting for somebody to get desperate enough to say, I can't stay in this prison any longer. I can't stay in this little form of self-deception that's one part apostolic and two-thirds me. Come on, somebody lift your voice. God came here to deliver. God came to help you with a way of escape. I need some music right now. This altar's open. All over this congregation. Come on, Daniel. Come on, Paul and Silas. Come on, spiritual leader. Come on, the ends of the world have come upon us. 
If we can cry unto the Lord like they did, we can come out. We can stay out. I need Cornerstone to come and help us pray. done preaching and I've already given us what God wanted you to hear so let's pray let's pray somebody needs to cry out say I'm not accepting where I'm at you really don't have to God's just waiting on you